Welcome to Not So Standard Deviations, the data science podcast. This is episode 17. Uh, I'm Roger Peng from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, and I'm here with Hillary Parker of Stitch Fix. Hey, Hillary. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Uh, weather's still good out there? Yeah. Okay. Very, very consistent. <laughs> right. uh, <laughs> I am learning, man. I mean, anyone who lives here will... It's, it is a very bizarre place to live in terms of how you dress <laughs> because in the middle of the day in the sun, it'll get kind of hot, but then at night it gets very cold. And so everyone's like, yeah, you just always have to have a jacket. So yeah. High learned, yeah. It's very high. Like, well, it's weird. The, the variant I've thought about actually trying to graph this because the variance over, if you look to like the average daily temperature over a six month span, that would have very low variance. But then the within day variance is very high. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the diurnal kind of variation. Yeah. yeah. Wait, what did you call it? Diurnal. Oh, yes. Yes. That's... <laughs> <laughs> I guess you work in this area. So yeah, yeah, I guess I yeah, know I guess all I'm, the technical terms. I see that word a lot actually. So uh, <laughs> I had I've only had to look it up like six or seven times. So Yeah. Um <laughs> Um, okay. Uh, well, before, before we start today, I just want to mention uh, that, of course, uh, if you want to find Not So Standard Deviations, of course, we're on iTunes. Um, but a more recent development is that we're on the Google Play Store. So Google uh, Google Play, I guess, added podcast support relatively recently. And so you can find us there. Um, I So I assume it works. I don't use any Android or Google Play stuff. So um, I have no idea whether it works. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it looks like it's up there, at least on the website. So... Um, okay, I will. I will test that out. And okay, because sure, I do use Android. That's right. So, yeah. um, and of course, and we're also we've always been on Stitcher. Uh, if you use Stitcher, um, and uh, but we are not on Spotify. Spotify also now has podcasts, but they are like recruiting kind of their hand selecting podcasts to be included. Yeah. Um, and uh, surprisingly, we're not on the list. <laughs> at least not yet um, but if they ever do open it up to just whoever you know then I'll be sure to put it up there so excellent um, all right so uh, so I haven't meaning to ask you since you tweeted this out um, what tell me about the Amazon Echo yes <laughs> yeah. the Echo is uh, first of all it's life-changing uh, and it's one of the best purchases I've ever made. <laughs> well, so, so for those, yeah. those people listening who are outside the U.S. or maybe inside the U.S., maybe you could explain a little bit what, what yeah, it is. Yeah, what it is. Yeah, so Amazon Echo, it's it's a device, a physical device from Amazon that is listening. It You put it in a room, and then you can give it commands um, in order to essentially to query it the way you would query Siri or um, if you had Google, like, OK, Google. Um, and so you can say something like, oh, Alexa, turn on the lights. And because I'm in my room with my Amazon Echo, it actually is doing that. <laughs> so, oh, I feel like the lights yeah, just went on, right? Yeah, okay. the lights, come on. Uh, and so because so essentially it plugs into a bunch of different um, kind of like smart home devices. So I already had um, like smart home light switches so I could use my phone to turn on and off my lights. Um and then, and that was just sort of me being like a hyper optimizer. I'm sure there's a word for this type of person who like, is like, oh, using the light switch is so difficult. I'm going to buy. It's, it's a lot of friction to have to turn that thing on. <laughs> yeah. Like when you're in bed and you have to get out of bed to go turn off the light, it is Very really tough. nice to be able to say like, Alexa, turn off the lights. And then all the lights turn off. Um, <laughs> and so anyway, the name of the Amazon, uh, you know, 
algorithm, I guess, is uh, is Alexa. One thing that took me a, a little while to figure out is that the Echo is the device and that Alexa is like the intelligence, basically. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it is a little confusing. I also run into that because you don't say like Echo, do this. You say Alexa, do these things for me. Um, and it also it's it's very it's interesting because it's, you know, you have these, I guess, three competing I don't know, conglomerates? I don't know what you would call them. The what? <laughs> ecosystems, like oh. iOS versus Android versus Amazon. Yeah. And so, so like, some things, it, in some ways, it's a little limited because you can't... I think uh, the Echo can plug into your Google Calendar, so you can ask, like, what's my next event? But that's sort of the limit of how much it interacts with the Googleverse. Um, so you couldn't... You couldn't be like, oh, like, read me my last email or something like that. Right. Um, but then it's nice because if you listen to audiobooks or something, that is part of the Amazon Ecoverse. So you can say, like, Alexa, read me my last audiobook. And um, it'll start reading, you know, wherever you left off. So uh -huh. that's actually been really nice for me because I listen to audiobooks. And so it used to be kind of this whole to-do where I'd have to, like, Bluetooth my phone to a speaker. And, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and now it's just, like, turns on. And uh -huh. then the light thing for me has been life-changing. Do, <laughs> do you have a lot of other smart home devices? That's you... that's actually it, but I've, like, trust me, I've been looking to see what else I can. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of them, so the Nest is the really obvious one, and which right. is funny because that one is, so I guess when I said the Nest is part of the Google that's right it is now yeah yeah so there are things like that it's it, this is clearly something they like tightly negotiate you know it's like contentious negotiations every time but the nest is such an obvious one where you could say like alexa i'm cold and it turns up the thermostat right so yeah. the nest being this like smart thermostat um system and so and i've wanted to get i've thought about getting nest also has a um like a fire alarm oh smoke alarm smoke yeah detector. smoke alarm smoke detector yeah. and carbon monoxide detector and i thought right. about getting those just, just for fun <laughs> <laughs> but so, uh yeah uh, do you find that alexa can understand you well yeah actually it's surprisingly well the only thing that it's a little bit you have to be looking at the device in order for it to pick up that you're saying it so oh, you, like, like your voice has to be pointed at it yeah, yeah. i and that, that might just be me and how i've calibrated it like i wonder if some I, I feel like we'll probably hear from people who are like hey mine can hear from like all directions right. uh but yeah it's so there's some of that but i feel like i talk pretty naturally to it and it's totally fine and uh it it is like it, man, it feels like the future. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's totally the future, I, and I think it's it's interesting. That Amazon's approach is kind of interesting because they basically it's like it, Alexa is kind of like AI as a service, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and no, and and they were it was it's interesting that they were the ones who came out first with it versus Google and I and like Apple were so focused on this functionality with their phone, but it's so much nicer not having to dig through and find your phone and, you know, like make sure that it's, I, I guess now Siri has like the like touchless Siri or whatever, but it, yeah. it still is like not nearly like having that device just sitting there all the time. And so, you know, like I've migrated a lot of stuff like, so before with the lights, my attempted solution to this was to have a recipe. And this is like, 
borderline embarrassing. It was like I had a recipe so that I could click a button from my smartwatch that would then trigger it on my phone to trigger the lights to go off. So I was like, <laughs> okay, this is my compromise. Like I'll have my watch on and I can turn off. But like the difference between just being able to say turn off the lights and right. having to like make sure that the app's working, you know, it's, it's just a bit, it's a huge difference. Yeah, no, and I think yeah. of all places, like your your home is the one where you're kind of least likely to have your phone around, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Right? So like, I find that like I'll leave the phone somewhere and then it's like, if I have to talk to the phone, like at first I gotta find the phone, right? And, yeah. Um, and then, so it's kind of inconvenient. So the, having like a fixed device that's just sitting there is interesting. And yeah. I, think, I think Amazon did that because they don't have, because they failed at the phone, right? Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. It's sort of interesting. I wonder if this felt like a, like a necessary pivot to them or if they, if this was like the long game. I mean, I'm sure that they thought the phone was going to work. Like they wanted right. the phone. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But I think it, one thing that's interesting is, that, is so that Alexa has kind of two parts to it. One is like, this like skill set thing which you can build into the echo mm-hmm. and uh, i guess like basically you can it's like kind of an app type framework for 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 the echo so you can like call an uber or whatever right yeah um but then there's also just like an open kind of um api for alexa in general that you can just kind of plug into that anyone can just kind of plug into mm-hmm. um and so it's kind of like i feel it feels to me like they're kind of re- trying to reproduce like you know, amazon web services but for like this kind of thing yeah, um, that's an interesting. I guess when I think about the API, I only I only access it through if this then that. Um, yeah, which is like for people who don't know that that's the service where I, I guess it like makes you using APIs easy. <laughs> I don't well, really know it, how it, else to it, describe it. Yeah, I guess it, it kind of connects different services together, right? Exactly. Right. So you can set up. So you can set up something. One of the popular recipes for Alexa, because I've been looking them up, is to say like Alexa trigger find my phone and then it will go again my Alexa's like listening (laughs) 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 I'm like don't actually but uh but yeah so then it will call it'll that triggers your the if this and that it'll send a signal that will then cause your Android phone to uh ring and so Uh. So that's like a really popular one where there's not the direct connection between Echo and Android like operating system but you can very easily like just do this little thing to connect them um actually i really need to set that one up too because i lose my phone all the time (laughs) 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 but uh but yeah no it's 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 really cool for someone who if i always feel like this is the big ios android divide where if you're the type of person who wants to like tinker around and make little recipes like that um then you will love the echo right um but then people i know who have it who are more like ios like i don't really think about this stuff like they kind of like ask it the weather and that's it right Uh, yeah 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 yeah. but um you can also another one that's surprisingly helpful is you can add things to the shopping list so you can say like you know alexa add this to my shopping list and um, that's like really helpful if you're in the kitchen and you just you're like oh I just ran out of flour like add it like I, you don't have to like find a pen. But then, but then where is that list? Oh, like, so then that goes so it goes into an app uh, that is on your um, like in order to activate the Echo. At least I have the Echo Dot, so I'm not sure. Maybe for other ones it's different, but you have to have an app on your smartphone or it's a web app too. So you could, I think you could do it just through the web app. Okay. And so then, so that's a good question because then you would have to go into the Amazon echo app in order to access that shopping list. 
unless you set up an if this then that <laughs> recipe to take every new item on the shopping list and add it to like some other to do. So I use like to do list uh, as my like to do manager. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So I see. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you get a so yeah. If you, I think for someone who's not into tinkering, probably the the it feels a little limited. But if you kind of put in the effort to optimize it, it is very powerful. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we've established that you're an optimizer, right? So yeah. <laughs> I think that's clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I don't know, I think it feels like everyone is doing some sort of AI thing now, right? Facebook, Google, Apple, you know, and so, you know they're saying, you know, there's going to be a Siri API coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and so it's, I don't know, I don't know who's going to win or if there's going to be a winner or whatnot, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know, I feel, it, to me it feels like Amazon is good at this kind of stuff in terms of kind of building you know, infrastructure for other people to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this idea that like you can kind of tinker with it is, I could be really important for like, you know, kind of like they built web services and now like everyone has built like, you know, there are billion dollar businesses built on Amazon web services, right? Yeah. Uh, Dropbox, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it could, I feel like uh, you could, they could be doing the same thing with AI, you know, with um, hmm. these, you know, so there's an Alexa service and everyone can use it and maybe you can build a business on top of it doing something else, you know. Yeah. Um, but, and I don't see Google or Apple necessarily doing something like that, you know. No, no. I mean, so, may, maybe Google a little more, but not, well, you're right. Google's, but Google's got their own product now, you know, so it's, uh, it's right. not clear. I saw that I, in the back of my head, I, I like I haven't been emotionally capable of entertaining this yet because I'm like, no, I just got the echo, which is right. like, I, I was like, oh, no, is that one going to be able to read my email to me and like send text messages or, you know, like all the things right. that like might be helpful. Yeah, because um, like, if you're in the Google universe, like that could be the oh, ultimate yeah, thing. Yeah, right? so. Yeah. so. Oh, well. Oh, well. It's, <laughs> I'll it's, worry it's like, about that later. It's not for sale yet. It's like no one knows when it's going to be for sale. So it's not an issue right now. Yeah. 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 No, it's, uh, it's 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 super interesting because I know at the Google um, I/O they they talked about having that integrated into chat more, where it'd be like you would ask the question like, oh, what time are these movies tonight to your friend, and then some like mysterious <laughs> like algorithm would like insert movie times for you, but then it's also very conveni- convenient because then you don't have to look them up. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I, I feel like the AI is in a kind of interesting spot right now because I feel like the it's in many ways it's kind of um, it's kind of moving towards commodity in a way. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. weird. Like, you know, you know, so like Google's released their, you know, their whole TensorFlow thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and there's and there's, there's Alexa, which is going to be probably going to be some sort of open kind of service. Um mm-hmm. And uh, I wonder if, like, it's kind of getting, it's interesting that, like, it's, it's kind of getting to the point where, like, you, I don't know, you don't need to worry about it in some way, you know? Like, it's always going to get better, I think, uh, but you can actually access it without having to kind of know the details of, like, what's going on. Yeah, I guess I see what you're saying, because you could build, right now you could build something with, like, with the intent that you have essentially outsourced the AI to like, like echo or Amazon or however you want to put it, but yeah. Or Google or whatever. Yeah. 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 And then, and so you have a product that's completely dependent on that service and surely Amazon's smart enough to know to eventually charge for it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I feel like like the days in which 
I don't know if there were ever a day where the, you would do this, but the day where you would kind of implement your own kind of uh, deep learning or AI type of approach, that's already over. Like it's, it's, it's over, right? You would mm -hmm. never do that. Well, right? for, yeah, for certain products, obviously, like <laughs> at Stitch uh, Fix, we have our own. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you have to, yeah. you have to be a pretty, there's a, definitely a threshold uh, in terms of the size or, uh, you know, of your business, I think, mm -hmm. uh, where you would consider doing that. But I think that threshold is going to continue to go up and up and up, I think. Yeah, you know, it's funny time. you say this because I had a coworker um, who I, I only won't name her because I don't want to, I don't want to like, uh, maybe perhaps a controversial opinion, but she said something like that when I first started at Etsy. She was like, well, most out of the box stuff works just fine for most places. And so, you know, not every place needs some huge data science team, like creating some brand new algorithm, doing the same thing that like, you know, all these other places do. Um and I guess that sort of plugs into our conversation last week of like, well, at what point do you cross that threshold where that as a service isn't good enough for your purpose? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And I and I would really differentiate between that's really a difference between the other difference between that this conversation and that last week is that the in this case the AI or like the algorithm is a product versus before it was like the analysis was the product. Yeah, and that's no. a really different. Yeah, I think it's totally different. Yeah, they get bundled together though, like a lot. Um, I don't yeah. think that I don't think the average person would understand the difference between those things. Um, and certainly, like the 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 job title data scientist doesn't differentiate between those things. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have noticed that actually. Uh, that everything kind of gets lumped together. Yeah. Yeah, it's super frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I don't know. I, I, it's obviously very early, but I feel like um, it's. Um, I just I'm, I'm interested in this area in the sense that I, I think it's it's like progressing very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so, yeah. No, it's it's super cool. I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. Yeah. Um, so I I, I I I know I've been bugging you to talk about AI for a while. <laughs> 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 um, but uh, one of the things that I kind of been thinking about a little bit is. Um, this idea of so you know so you know how Facebook no no sorry Google uh, had this program that um, uh, that you know that kind of beat the world champion in Go mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, and one of the things uh, you know and the people kind of compared it a lot to like when IBM built the computer that beat you know, Kasparov in chess mm -hmm. um, and uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting about both of those scenarios is that I think like both of those people uh, when they were playing the computer they felt like the computer kind of did these like really surprising things. Yeah, yeah. Right? I remember reading about that. Like, oh, he did this weird move that I thought was totally like, strange, and then I realized it was genius. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like that happened. Like that, that kind of kind of comic came up both. Like both in back in whatever nineteen ninety whatever it was that you know the, the the chess machine was out, and then and then, then this year. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and I was wondering, like, I guess it's weird. I feel like it seems like you know the people playing games have. Um, they have some inherent biases, you know, in terms of like they play a certain way and therefore they shut out these other possibilities. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why they're surprised and the computer does it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, so it, it occurred to me that like, is it true that like, you know, if you, let's say if you do something, then you have a certain bias, but if you program a computer to do that thing, do you remove that bias? Right. Oh yeah. Um, and um, so I don't know. I, I, cause I never thought about that too much. I don't really know what the answer is, but. Yeah, I see exactly what you're saying because 
clearly there was some way in which I mean, I think anyone reading that story, it makes a compelling narrative because it's like, oh, the computer was able to take this odd path that humans just hadn't, like like what you said, they're very biased against for whatever reason, probably right. some weird emotional reason. <laughs> or yeah, like, you know, right. just something completely irrational because if it works, it works. Right. But, and, then, and then some other computer was able to find it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then there's like kind of another dimension, which is that I feel like, you know, so with chess... You know, the computer there really, I mean, they use some data, uh, but I mean, total, extremely limited compared to like what they did with Go. But uh, they used some data, but mostly it was kind of like programming the rules of the game and then kind of optimizing certain algorithms for searching like the space of possibilities, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of, it was a very like top down kind of approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but with the Go, from what I understand with the Go program, you know, they, they, they analyze like a ton of data, like all these games and like how people play and et cetera. And so mm-hmm. really the data much more so kind of drove the algorithm um, for, for, for playing the game. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. so then there's like another potential for bias there, which is that the data just coming in or whatever, whatever they are, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, they, if, there's, if the data only represent a certain set of paths, then you're only gonna get that, I guess, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, but um, so I don't. I don't know. I guess I. I don't have a question for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I guess it, and they kind of, they kind of came together with this with this article that came out. I guess it was ProPublica mm-hmm. um, that um, that did an analysis. So there are these uh, algorithms that are being used in the criminal justice system, and um, and they are used for a variety of purposes. But they're basically prediction algorithms to predict whether a person is going to. Uh, I learned a new word, uh, recidivate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, for example, one just one of many examples is if they're uh, charged with a crime, if a person is charged with a crime, these, some, these, some of these algorithms predict whether they will uh, then commit another crime mm-hmm. afterwards. So it might determine whether you keep them in jail or you let them out on bail. Um, and uh, and then I guess this ProPublica investigation was, was kind of... Uh, Suggesting that some of these algorithms are bi- are racially biased, mm-hmm. um, and so they give um, different predictions. So I guess the way you would say that statistically is, you know, they give different per- scores uh, for people who are otherwise equal, uh, mm-hmm. uh, except for their race, right? Yeah, yeah. I assume I'm not sure if they looked at it that. I don't think that they necessarily looked at it. No, they did. They did a big linear model. Uh, yeah, they did like a logistic yeah. regression where they divided. So there's a range of scores from like one to ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, ten is like very highly likely, and one is not likely uh, to recidivate. And uh, and they kind of divided into like low and not low, basically <laughs> low and high, mm-hmm. uh, high low and high risk. That is, and then they did like a logistic regression of all these different predictors. Yeah. 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 Um, well, yeah, because now so, I'm getting at the end of the article. They also had they reported on the false positive and false negative rate. Right. So yeah, they must have they kind of like distilled it down to some sort of binary. Um, yeah. Like predictors essentially. So right. in that case, I I'm trying to remember. I like wanted to grab the article really quick. Like what. It was funny because when I looked at the linear model results and they looked at sort of the different these different like low, medium, high uh, recidivism predictions uh, versus the actual recidivism. Mm -hmm. Um, And those, yeah, like those were looking at, like they were certainly ordered correctly. Um, 
But then the false positive rate was like extremely concerning, right? Like they yeah. were, they segmented by race, and then they looked at the false positive rate, and it was it was like That's twice like, as high for, uh, for for blacks. I think yeah, but, yeah, yeah, for black men and yeah. women. I think, but I think the women sample size is a lot smaller. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. so that was obviously so, disturbing. <laughs> yeah. Well, what what so the first interesting thing for me about this analysis is that like, they obviously don't know how the actual algorithm works, mm -hmm. right? And so they they're basically like reverse engineering this thing, right? So Yeah, so the algorithm's proprietary. That was the weird thing was that the algorithm's proprietary. Right. Um and so they kind of mentioned they they made it very clear that they did not include race in the algorithm. Well, no, no, it's not included in the data. Uh, oh, so, so the, okay, al the actual algorithm is based on a questionnaire that has like a hundred some items in it, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and nowhere in that questionnaire do they ask ask you your race. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, there are things that are correlated with race. Yeah, um, but like they, they do ask. ask yeah. yeah, they ask things like, "Oh, like, do you have you like have you had a parent in jail?" And right. like, given the like different incarceration rates and what, yeah, those things would be very right. correlated with race. You know. Not yeah. necessarily for like objective reasons either, right? Like that's so and, and yeah. yeah. So the so the so this company is called North Point. Mm -hmm. uh, there, it's the whole the algorithm is totally proprietary. We don't know how they what they do with the data, um, and um, and it's and so that alone is interesting, right? So yeah, so the analysis had to kind of had the scores and it had a lot of the data, the input data, um, mm -hmm. but didn't have the algorithm. So they kind of basically. Yeah, you know, they kind of they tried to essentially approximate it with the logistic regression, right? Mm -hmm. I see, I see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to see what the relationships were with race and other factors. Yeah, um, and to be clear, this the scores are being used in like judges are referencing them in sentencing yes. and things. Yes, they, so yeah, like that alone is quite concerning that something that is proprietary and closed source is being used in what is supposed to be a very open system. Well, it, it, well, also in a system where there's like really you know, serious consequences, right? And, uh, yeah, yeah. and you know, not to <laughs> not to beat a dead horse here, but it, it did remind me of Theranos, actually. Oh, really? Whole, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, you know, in a way, in the sense that, like, you know, Theranos claims to have a magical product, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But there's no data and there's no published, you know, scientific, uh, you know, information about their product, mm -hmm. um, and. And yet they are pushing it on the, they're, they're, they're trying to convince the public to do more and more testing using their product. Um, mm -hmm. And there's no data about how it works, right? I see, yeah. And, and it's and it's in a field where you're required to have these sort of known false positive, false negative rates and all these things. Yeah, and, and yeah. the consequences can be very serious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, so here I think, I feel like we have a situation where there's an algorithm that's being used to make very serious decisions. Yeah. Uh, and we have very little idea of how it works, actually. Yeah, and in both cases, you're talking about people developing it that are not um, necessarily trained in the back. Because I know that the algorithm is being developed by some statistician, right? Yeah, well, the company was founded by a statistician, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's like it wasn't being created by people who, like, I, I see the comparison you're making because in both cases, like there is supposed to be a set of principles that you are living by. Right. And you can like debate whether or not that actually happens. Like, you know, but that is the point of the regu like the, the regulations around both of these sort of quote unquote industries. Yeah. Um, and then, but then when you have this sort of outside person come in and say like, Hey, I'm going to solve this problem for you. 
But if they aren't trained in those regulations and then they're like skirting by them, then things are allowed that like once you get to the end, you're like, oh, this is not right. Like there, there's no way that that could I feel like it couldn't even be constitutional to have something where it has such a different false positive rate for different for different races like that seems like that is antithetical to the justice system well yes i mean maybe but i think the point is that we don't really have a system at all Mm -hmm. for understanding how these how these algorithms should or should not be used and what and and under which scenarios and what situations and what Mm -hmm. operating characteristics for these algorithms are are appropriate you know Mm -hmm. uh like we have an entire government agency federal government agency who's de- who's dedicated to kind of understanding the operating characteristics of tests uh, medical tests mm-hmm. uh, and medical treatments and uh, under and, and, and weighing whether the risks are worth the benefits you know mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, I don't believe we have a similar you know infrastructure or kind of set up for evaluating these kinds of uh, devices essentially right I mean these algorithms are like devices right yeah yeah um, and uh, I feel like, you know, it's, so it, to the extent that this has been going on, it's just like a largely kind of a Wild West kind of scenario. Yeah, right? I mean, that's, yeah, that's like very scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, especially because the justice system, it is, it's all these kind of, well, it's, you know, it's funny because when we, when we were like talking about, talking about this, uh, and I was reading the article, I kept thinking about how the justice system itself is this weird kind of pseudo hypothesis test right where you're presented with evidence and then the jury deliberates and you have to get over a certain threshold uh and that i've used that to describe hypothesis testing generally right because it's it's like conceptually the same like innocent until proven guilty and then you have like you know you assume the null is true until you obtain enough data to like not prove but (laughs) show that that could possibly be not true uh and then and so it's like it i was thinking about that where i was like well the justice system is sort of bizarre in that it has all these weird uh ways of implementing pseudo algorithmic thinking but then anywhere outside of a specific rule like that it's like emotions run wild (laughs) 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 have you been on a jury before i have actually yeah Uh, i've been on yeah i was i did you did in baltimore oh yeah yeah i have i i did one in los angeles actually oh Um, really yeah i figured i was like oh we'll have this in common because we both lived in baltimore and i felt (laughs) like i felt like so many people in our department have been in a jury before yeah i did one in baltimore but it was a civil trial it wasn't a criminal trial yeah yeah um, but um, I actually, I, I have kind of like a very remote connection to this area because uh, one of my thesis committee members, uh, this guy, Richard Burke, um, did some of this, uh, very early on, did some of this kind of like uh, forecasting for criminal justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I remember when I was a student, he was working on a project with the California Department of Corrections. Um, and they had like an inmate classification score. So that mm-hmm. when, this is long, after you've been convicted, you're going to jail, uh, they, and you go in as an intake questionnaire, and, mm-hmm. and they take that questionnaire and they run it through. They ran it through this essentially a regression model um, to determine, you know, kind of whether you're going to be like a high risk prisoner or a low risk prisoner. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I think he consulted on it. Anyway, I, I was not directly involved, but I remember hearing a lot about it. Uh, and uh, and then he wrote a book. Actually, it's called Criminal Justice Forecasts of Risk. Um, uh, it's an interesting book. I recommend it. Um, wow. But um, 
and, 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 he, and he talks about how like there's all kinds of pro there's definitely problems there's all kinds of issues that you need to consider but one of the things that you have to ask yourself as well is you know, all this stuff may have problems but then you have to say well can I compare it to what right I mean well yeah um, I mean that's yeah. the big thing it's not like there wasn't already rampant bias in the judicial system right for yeah, this so, algorithm yeah. yeah was the existing system better or worse right yeah, yeah. I mean it's probably unknown right because there's very there's, I don't know how much data there is you know um mm -hmm. On the exist on the current on the previous system or you know on, on any of these systems really, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so yeah yeah that's sort of why I was bringing up the um, like have you been on a jury before because it is the whole I always find when um, like because I was on a jury in Baltimore and I always find that when there's like popular press items about trials everyone's like well this is this was not objective I was like. Nothing about my trial seemed like anyone was trying to be objective. Right. <laughs> like, the, like, the, like it, and I don't think that there's any mandate to, like, the rule is to convince 12 people of something. Like, it doesn't say that you have to do that logically. You can do that emotionally. Like, there's all these. No. Yeah. And so, and so this, it, like, the lawyers clearly were playing into weird emotional, you know, things about yeah. the various people in the trial. Um, and, like, trying to make cases based on kind of speculative like speculation and then but then there would be like kind of rules about standards of evidence or whatever but it you know again outside of those rules it was <laughs> no one was trying to just say like well let's not let's only be concerned with the facts here so yeah, i don't know yeah, yeah. in yeah. my experience in my experience i felt like they went like the the court and the lawyers went out of their way to not really present any rules you know oh yeah uh, totally. to, not, to not even suggest that there might be a a, a, a framework through which you should think about all the facts and everything. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And that, so basically it was like, they just threw you in a room and you just have to like come out with something and there's no yeah. framework. No, really. totally. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm glad we had the same experience because yeah. I was shocked at the time. And I think it probably makes sense since we're both <laughs> similar field, right? <laughs> like, like that we would think about solving problems a specific way. And I, I spent the whole time, I, I feel like I learned so much from that process because I was, the biggest thing I learned was that most people do not make decisions the way I do. Um, <laughs> uh, well, that's useful to learn. Yeah, it was extremely frustrating at the time, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, I totally agree that I was like, isn't this supposed to be like you're supposed to sit down with us and tell us how to think about this? And the answer was no. <laughs> and so, and so, it is true that like you know, there's like a case in the news right now about. Um, like a horrible rape at Stanford and there's been a lot of speculation about the judge's decisions and everything. And it's the same, it's the same thing where it's, I, it's hard to read about because my reaction is like, well, there, I don't really think there's a system in place to not let this happen. And it's just sort of like trusting the judges to be impartial and objective and everything. And yeah. I mean, same with journalists, you know, this, this goes in a lot of different directions. So also, I think particularly in the in in criminal cases, like, you know, what you see in the courtroom is is very kind of it's very limited in a way, mm -hmm. uh, and compared to kind of what you might know outside the courtroom, mm -hmm. um, and um, just because of rules of procedure and whatnot, you know, what could be 
introduced mm -hmm. and whatnot. Yeah. And so your view as if you're on a jury, you know, your view of the case is totally, it might, I feel like it's very different from kind of what you might know from say reading a newspaper. Oh, totally. Like, yeah. That was I mean? the first thing I did once I left that jury. I like looked up all the backstory on this case. And, yeah. Like, cause yeah. you're not supposed to do that while you're doing it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't do it until it was over. And then yeah. I learned like, Oh, this was actually a retrial or, you know, like all these things. Right. I didn't yeah. know about. Yeah. 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 Like, like I had a case where there, like this is one guy was being, tried uh and uh and, but, it, but there were like three other you know like people involved but they were not part of the trial they were a different trial you know so it was, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it was kind of interesting yeah yeah but i guess to bring it back to like the data yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean this is almost what we've talked about before where in some ways it makes me so uncomfortable because it's the same thing that i see in workplaces where there's this whole analysis data point like this thing is created and then it's sort of used as the battleground for whatever point someone was trying to make in the first place, right? Like, I'm sure that if a judge saw that score and was like, but I really like this kid, then they wouldn't, they'd be like, well, I don't know if I believe the score. Or, but if they want to believe it, then they would use it. You know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't, it's it's sort of this, it's like, you said this in one of the earlier podcasts, like, it's, it's kind of like a race to the bottom of, you know, making something as simple as possible so that people can use it. But in doing mm -hmm. that, you sort of remove the power of, like, actually doing things objectively. <laughs> 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 the other emotion that this article evoked in me was, um, I feel like it's Im important to remember that the original field of statistics was mostly eugenicist <laughs> and so that's i i there like was this fisher moment and, uh, yeah like all yeah. like, Gaul, like yeah. fisher and pearson yeah. i think and and so it's sort of like deja vu all over again <laughs> it's like oh no <laughs> like this is not because that i mean that it's just i think that that's an important thing to bring up in that it the field needs to have self-regulation that I will not say I take back the self part like there should be regulation in terms of sort of like the social implications of things that we yeah do. it's yeah. it's a bit of a I think it's a new thing I mean I think I mean maybe not the best analogy but a, you know analogy is like you know if you have a machine that you use to kind of like diagnose your health mm -hmm. uh, those machines are regulated like all the, you know, up and down, you know, everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, but if you use, and uh, if you use a algorithm to do the same thing, that there's no regulation at all. Well, there is now, but there didn't used to be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this played into whole, you know, with the, with the whole kind of scandal with Duke and, you know, the, uh, the genomics kind of testing, like when mm -hmm. all that came out, there was, there was like wild west, right? You could just do whatever genomics you wanted and you can, uh, you make any kind of decision you want, you know, based on any genomic test, right? Is um, this the this is the Anil Pody thing that you're yeah, referencing? Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. And so now I think these algorithms are regulated like devices, um, mm -hmm. the, at least in the medical area. But I think, um, but because the, I think decisions have to be made that are not necessarily data decisions. You know, so for example, in this uh, recidivism case, uh, you know, one of the algorithms I think, you know, in terms of predicting recidivism had like an area under the curve of like 65% or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, so, I mean, what does that mean? Is that good or that bad? I don't know. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. you, we kind of have to make a joint decision about like what's an appropriate uh, AUC for an algorithm that predicts recidivism, right? And mm -hmm. apparently the company, the company stated in its like literature that like 70% is good. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, like, oh, we're I, almost there. Yeah. yeah. But, um, 
So, um, but well, you know, and, that, right? and that makes me think again about it's not like the justice system hasn't tried to have these objective sort of, you know, like there's like the different standards of evidence, like mm-hmm. beyond a reasonable doubt or clear and convincing case or whatever. So there are, there is a desire to sort of have those benchmarks. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 And then, so, but the question is like, is 70% beyond a reasonable doubt or, you know, yeah. the equivalent, you know, or is it 80%? Does it have to be 90%, you know? Yeah. So, well, um, and that is like the instructions thing we were talking about earlier. I really thought they would sit down and tell us what beyond a reasonable doubt. And frankly, in our deliberations, that's what it came down to was, I remember at one point saying like, listen, for me, this is beyond a reasonable doubt. That might not be for you. Like, I don't, there's no, like, there's nothing. It's not like everyone has the same threshold. Yeah. There's no absolute metric. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was, that was like a, a weird, <laughs> kind of a strange moment, right? It's yeah, juries yeah. are whoa. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing. I feel like both of these fields are. I mean, probably less so with um, Theranos than with uh, with the justice system. I feel like the justice system. There's so many like. It's so hard, and the people who are working in that field are making such tough decisions without. Like, it's like we decided a decision should be made and no one actually wants to make it, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's, like, these people who do, and that's, I don't know. I don't know what point I'm trying to make with that. But it's yeah. just, it's, like, really hard and messy and there's not going to be some, it's not like one person's going to write a medium post and it's all going to get solved. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was waiting for that person to, waiting for that medium post to come yeah, out. Like, yeah, like, here's how yeah. to fix the justice system. And, yeah. yeah. No, it does seem like a tough job. Oh, um. God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no, to the point of regulation, though, I do think, or like the fact that we're thinking more about ways to regulate, I, I did want to bring up kind of, I think there are some important groups doing sort of, I would call like algorithm skepticism work. Uh, and one is um, Dana Boyd at yeah. Microsoft Research. Yeah, she has a lot of really interesting stuff. The example I always think of with her is, um, and this one's like so heartbreaking to think about, which is that if you had um, like a high school kid who in the Midwest or something who is um, like from a different country, maybe has like a Muslim sounding name, then his his like classmates start might start Googling like questions about him that are not they're like bad, you know, um, and then Google will start to autocomplete that like when you uh-huh. type in this person's name. And so uh-huh. it's like, it's just one of those examples where you're like, oh no, that's like so horrible and not, you know, that should not be happening. Um, but it certainly like it plausibly could and probably has. Um, and so anyway, so that's Dana Boyd. And then um, the other was Kathy O'Neill, who's has this book coming out called weapons of math destruction. <laughs> oh, uh, I think I saw that. I don't, yeah. But what is it about? Um, it's, I think it's just about this idea of, of like algorithms not being objective and like necessarily like this idea that there should be regulation and that they could spin into really bad places. And she wrote a lot. She was really, uh, involved with the financial crisis. I feel uh-huh. like I, I don't know as much of her backstory as I should, but I know that she, she, she was like involved with the Occupy movement and is just kind of like generally uh, like a well-reasoned critic of sort of like big data stuff, I guess I'll say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like, for example, she had that blog post um, I sent along about how she was sort of like, well, you know, everyone, it's kind of people will, when we were talking about Alexa or Siri, 
um, we anthropomorphize uh, algorithms in, to make them seem like people, but then when they spin into these bad places and, you know, like give terrible results for some innocent high school kid, um, then we're like, oh, it's just an algorithm. And so it's kind of like this, di- like we're anthropomorphizing them when they're good, but not when they're bad. And it's like, that's right. more complicated than that. So I thought it was an interesting take. Um, and again, sort of, I feel like people in stats and math have this tendency to try to say like, everything we do is objective, but it's, it's like, it's not. <laughs> like, well, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, it can't yeah. be right. And I think, but I think there's an assumption that, you know, if you program it and the rules that you program into the system seem okay, mm-hmm, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're deliberate. I mean, you're probably not deliberately programming in kind of bias or, or, you know, or racist kind of rules. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it seems like if you program in something in a certain way that seems objective, then you're kind of like, well, then you get a free pass. But you know, that's not necessarily, that can't be true, right? I mean, I think, exactly. Um, yeah, but, yeah. And I think, I think you're totally right that kind of the role of the medical regulation industry could at least be a, at least it could be kind of like a paradigm to go toward. Yeah, I mean, I think cause it's. I, I think you know you want to be careful, right? Because you don't want to just like throw a regulation around everywhere you go. But mm-hmm. uh, but in in cases where like there could be real harm, uh, you know, then you, that's kind of thing when you want to consider. Um, you know, we as a society have to decide when it's worth it and when it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes, and I think there's like there's like a whole kind of ongoing discussion about like the ethics of data and everything. Um, and sometimes you kind of have to ask yourself, like, you know, is there data that we shouldn't collect? Is there that even though you could, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and even though it might be useful, um, are there some data that are kind of out of bounds? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know you have to kind of make have a discussion about that and make a decision. Yeah. Um, so um, I don't. Know, do you have anything else on this? Or no, I don't think so. I mean, okay. I feel like it's a. <laughs> I felt I when I was thinking about this podcast, I wanted to caveat, and I guess I'll do it at the end. But it's like there are people who have studied this so much more than me. <laughs> well, or, yeah, and me. I mean, we're just <laughs> yeah. Like there's it's a, that's why I wanted to point out the people who are actually doing work in this field. You know, it's like I think that there's there's definitely a growing group of folks thinking about this problem, and so I think that's it's worth. I mean, I I was sort of thinking like, man, in terms of what I would suggest. Like, as a practitioner, I, I mean, I feel like the understanding that this is an unsolved problem and not having the, like, hubris to be like, oh, like, this was objective and I'm, that's fine. I feel like that's, like, if I were, if I were like, hiring someone, I would look for that. You know, I feel like yeah. it's, just like, a really important aspect of this field. Yeah. 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 It's, it's an emerging problem, and I think it's going to be even it's going to grow, I think. There's, and the, the complexity of the discussion, I think, will grow, too. Because mm-hmm. um, it's, it's also interweaved with, like, privacy and things like that. So mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's going to grow, I think, in complexity. Yeah, yeah. So, um, all right. So uh, do you want to do free advertising? <laughs> you should you should do free advertising. I don't okay. have one. Like I have music. a very special one. It's oh. special to me. Okay, <laughs> excellent. So uh, this has been getting a lot of press, and it surprises me that it hasn't. But... There is a new, there's an R package called RMS Fact. <laughs> Have you seen this? It's Is it from Dirk Edelbutel? Yeah, it is, yes. <laughs> I remember being really surprised. He is not one to usually have, like, jokey packages. Well, does he not ha- do the Fortune package? I thought he did that one. Oh, did, okay. I guess I just did. Uh, I might be wrong about that. Anyway, RMS yeah. Fact. So for people who are, you know, 
younger than I am, perhaps. <laughs> so for RMS stands for Richard M. Stallman, and who's the creator of the Free Software Foundation and the whole free software kind of movement. And um, an RMS fact is a, is a package which has a single function called RMS fact, and every time you call it with no arguments, it, it, it spits out a kind of funny quote about, or a funny statement about Richard Stallman, which is almost certainly not true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, so, for example, it says, Richard Stallman can GPL your code just by looking at it funny. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I don't know how many of these things are in there, but I have not seen two of the same. So. Wow. <laughs> and I've, I've run this function a lot. <laughs> Wait, why is this one so special to you? Like, well, you I know, thought you were going to be like, oh, I wrote it. Or <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you know, because I feel like, you know, I kind of, I feel like I kind of grew up with the whole, like, free software kind of, I, I, you know, I, you know, like the, the whole free software thing was, I feel like that, that it's funny to kind of see how that debate has kind of gone away basically in some way, in some mm -hmm. respect, mm -hmm. because it's, it's now like mainstream. Yeah. Um, the idea of open source and, you know, with GitHub and, uh, you know, it's so everyone's doing it or like, no, I think like there are probably a lot of people who are like in college now are like wondering like what the big, like why you couldn't believe that anyone would debate this. Yeah. 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 I, um, I, I would even put myself in that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but like, so. I, I don't, I have memories of this being like the, like the big issue of the computing world, you know, like, yeah. um, and, uh, and it was like, it's controversial and companies like Microsoft and, you know, we're like, this is the death of software, you know, et cetera. Wow. And, um, and so anyway, so it's, and so I feel like, you know, Richard Stallman was like one of the heroes of this movement. And, and now his role has kind of diminished because it's like everyone, and uh, 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 he wouldn't believe that, but I would believe that because like everyone's kind of accepted this idea. Mm -hmm. um, so it's hard to be the revolutionary when like your idea is mainstream now. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Aww. So uh, anyway, so I, 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 it warmed my heart to see this package because <laughs> I, I have fond memories of those times. Um, Aww, I'm glad you shared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's on cran install dot packages rms fact all lowercase yeah um yeah. and uh, and enjoy and uh <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to think are you going are you going to use r this year oh no i'm not oh. it's it came up it, it, it's always kind of at a bad time for me to say, um, um well then. so are you going i am yeah you are okay so yeah. you you're one of the lucky uh people who got who got tickets in time yeah well i'm, I'm on the program committee so oh yeah, <laughs> okay, I should have yeah. known that. <laughs> so I got, I I did get a ticket early, uh, you, and so anyway, I'll, I'll I will tell Dirk for you that, because I'm sure he'll be there. Okay, yeah. yeah. Oh no, so yeah, so he does not do the fortunes package. He's someone else. So, oh. um, but um, yes, tell tell if you do see him, tell him I love the package. <laughs> <laughs> I will do um, that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I but actually speaking of the fortunes package, though, I am in that package. Actually, it turns out. Oh. Um, Wait. So that, you wrote that one it? has a special place in my heart too. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. What's the fortunes package do? It, it, you just call the the function fortune. Oh. There's only one function, and it uh, or something like that, and um, it, it used to just bring up like a quote from the R help mailing list. <laughs> um, and now I don't know. It might go to like Stack Overflow now, but. Um, Mm -hmm. Anyway, it pulls up something that someone said on on the on the one of the mailing lists. Yeah, and you and, were very uh, active on that mailing list for a long time. Right? For back in the day, yeah. yeah. So I have something in there, but yeah. Anyway, all right then. Yeah, it's a lot of Brian Ripley. <laughs>
a topic for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think that's it for this episode. Um, if you have any feedback for us or any questions for us, you can reach us at nssdeviations at gmail.com. Uh, you can also tweet us at, at nssdeviations. And you can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash nssdeviations and feel free to become a patron. So thanks very much. We'll see you next time.